0: Hello and welcome back to the Simplecast. On this episode, Chris talks with Charles Lee, the founder and CEO of Ideation, and the author of the book Good Idea Now What? Chris and Charles talk about Chapter 7 of Doing Good is Simple All Great Things Start Small How to Stage a Movement. They talk about, well, starting a movement. Now, here's Chris. Hello everyone, welcome to The Simplecast. I'm here with my good friend, Charles Lee, who lives in LA, but sadly, the one thing that I struggle with with Charles is he's a big New York Yankees fan. But other than that, I love him to death. He is, in my opinion, um, probably one of the top five people who have helped build Help One Now from day one. And Charles has invested so much time, energy, and effort into kind of building the Help One Now movement, if you will. So I'm very, very excited to have Charles join us and talk about creative movements here on the Simplecast. So welcome, Charles. Thanks for having me, Chris. All right, so real quick, before we jump into some of the questions, could you please just kind of fill in who you are, what you do, how folks can kind of engage in the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have a company called Ideation, and uh, we work primarily with executives on helping them literally refine their ideas and take it to execution through a lot of our creative services. So that's in a nutshell what we do. And uh, people could connect, just Google Charles Lee and I, I should pop up somewhere.
0: Yes, you definitely pop up. <laughs> and if you want to Google Charles T Lee, you definitely will pop up. So, yep. so Charles, I'm really excited to have you. You have been a great friend to help one now. You've really invested a lot of time and energy. And and so for us to be able to kind of talk about, you know, chapter seven in the book and what it means and what it takes to create a movement, I think will be real advantageous to the listener. But also as folks listen and engage to the podcast and as they read the book, just movements in general are something important and vital. And So let me jump in and just say this. I'm in the book and in chapter seven. I kind of talk about my struggle to figure out how to help these kids in Zimbabwe, knowing I couldn't do it as an individual. As I begin to study the orphan crisis, as I begin to realize, you know, the the, the tension and kind of the, the largeness, if you will, of 150 million orphans around the world. And I'm only one person. So what I wrestle with in this chapter is like, you know what, it's going to take literally hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people joining in and saying yes to caring for the poor. And so that really kind of just inspired me to realize like help one now has to be far bigger than just one person. So you're known kind of as the movement guy. I've been a part of multiple things that you've done and that you're doing, and I know in your skin, you have three or four other ideals that you're going to do in the future, even though you won't tell us now, but I know you have stuff you're working on. So can you just kind of share a little bit about the importance of movements and maybe a
1: few of the movements that you've been a part of? Absolutely. You know, as you mentioned, Chris, I think anybody trying to do something of significance and trying to either solve a problem or contribute to a solution will soon find out that anything meaningful you're trying to solve for requires more than just you. And uh, years ago, I read this book, and it really talked about the power of we, that, you know, we are smarter than me. And we saw, you know, I first saw this in different types of business spaces where you had various large brands really make a shift to becoming more open about their concepts and then inviting the general public at large to engage at a broader level. And I think that's really smart. And I think the reason that I am so attracted to trying to curate movements, if you will, is really built upon the fact that, you know, often the best solutions, the best ideas, really require often seemingly unrelated concepts to intersect. And I think that's true of like people. And so, you know, in your case, as we've done work with Help On Now, we know that it's going to require, because it's so complex. I mean, you say it often online, Chris, about just kind of the multi-layeredness of ending extreme poverty. Because yeah. it requires systemic changes, it requires support programs, it requires different types of funding. And so I think creating a movement is really essential for anybody who wants to do something significant.
0: Awesome. It's funny and interesting to say that one of the struggles people have when they initially see the title of the book, "What If Doing Good Was Simple," a lot of folks are like, "That's crazy talk. Like, it's it's not simple at all." And I actually would agree with them. And one of the struggles that we wrestled with Charles is, folks have different roles in the movement, and so we all kind of play, you know, different parts, and so. You know, for folks like Help One Now, I have the privilege to get up every single day and invest all my time, effort, energy into solving some of those larger, more complex issues. But for the masses, they get up every single day and they have to go to work and take care of kids. They don't have the time to invest like I do. And so tell me about the importance of different roles that people play in movements.
1: Yeah, you see it in sports often where you have certain players that are definitely those who have kind of risen above in specialty in their given position. And then you also have role players that are as important in the sense that without them, quote unquote, the stars or those who can uh, dedicate more energy of a particular way that they're gifted can really flourish. And so I think it's really, you know, whether you use the analogy of the human body or, and if you look at complex systems, they're all always like, You know whether larger gears and smaller gears, and it's not so much that one is important more important than the other, but it's really the point that everybody is essential if an organization is going to be what it needs to be. And so I I would encourage people that you know we're we're not all going to have the same passion level of every single cause in the world, but there's something that we can do. I think the other alternative would be not to do anything, and I think that would be a horrible choice to make. So I, I like the premise of the book is that really like if you can just do your part and contribute to, quote unquote, a movement of care, then I think the world's going to be far better off. And you never know how the collection of small actions cumulatively can create the type of change we all want to see in the world.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I totally agree. I think it's so vital that we kind of embrace our role in different sectors of society and it tends to bring just a tremendous grace, focus, and freedom to kind of how we spend our funds, how we spend our time, and you know, really how we leverage our human capital. So I want to I want to dig deep into a little of your history, kind of let the audience know, folks, Many, many folks already know this, but, but but others won't. You started two movements. One was the idea camp. And I'm going to out you in a second. Before Charles was um, a big-time executive, he also <laughs> was a pastor. I just outed you, Charles. Sorry about that. Um, but you did. You started these two. You started multiple movements. I remember back in, you know, Two thousand seven, two thousand eight, you were talking about anti-trafficking and and trying to create awareness for what was going on in Los Angeles and around the world. And then kinda of out of that, you started the idea camp and and ideation, the conference. Can you talk about kind of how you started those movements and what you were hoping to accomplish and if you did accomplish what you were hoping
1: for? Yeah, I'll I'll just use one of those as an example. Idea Camp was initially a concept that was birthed out of me sitting at an event at a, at a leadership conference one day, and and thought, you know, all of us were here, thousands of us were here, listening to somebody just talk. And have, having some background in academia, I quickly realized that that's probably not the most effective way of people to really engage and learn a topic. And so Idea Camp was kind of birthed out of that. And the real vision was like, would it be possible to create gatherings where it would really be about the people in the room? It's not to discount, you know, the quote unquote experts who may come and share, but it would be more important, I thought, that if people can network, if people can walk away with new friendships, potentially new partnerships, that we would move the needle a little bit more. And so the big problem that I was hoping to solve was really how do we help people execute better on their concepts? Once we kind of flip the whole model of a conference upside down, where there was less keynote speakers and more facilitators uh, we found something special there and obviously like you know our friendship and many people in our network were kind of birthed out of that movement and so did it meet expectation i I think it totally exceeded it because i knew in theory it would work but to see it with the you know overlays of technology uh the businesses and the organizations that have been birthed out of those events has been pretty mind-boggling
0: yeah, isn't, isn't it interesting to kind of look back from 2009, I think, is when kind yeah. of that idea got launched or started? And and you do something, I think, that was really wise. Is you didn't try to continue the movement forever. You allowed the movement to kind of – to to naturally evolve and to allow other people to jump in and to lead it and to guide it. And then there came a point and, you know, anyone who's been a, a part of the idea camp knows it could easily happen again, yeah. or it may never happen again. So can you talk about the importance of knowing when kind of to end a movement as well?
1: Yeah, I think we identified a couple of years in, because I think you're a big part of most of our events. We did what like, something like nine and two and a half years or something, something yeah. crazy like that. Our wives um, were upset after a while. So we had to stop <laughs> them. Just why? <laughs> but I think towards the end, when uh, we got to a place where other people were leading the conference, where it didn't have to be me up front facilitating it, I knew that the idea had come to fruition. And by then, other events were kind of adapting this type of model of learning. And so it was no longer, in my mind, distinct, but... By then, so many relationships have been built that I felt like it kind of ran its course. Now, could it come back as iterated into a totally different experience? Quite possibly, because the spirit of that, I think, is still good to nurture, where I love the fact that it wasn't just about a leader leading a movement. It was really peer-to-peer, and I think we did a really good job, and I really seriously mean we. We all did a really good job of flattening the engagement so it wasn't a celebrity talking to the audience it was really peer-to-peer practitioners saying we really need to collaborate in order to do something meaningful that impacts the world
0: yeah i agree and i think kind of i wrestled with in chapter seven movements are vital often people think when you start something it's like an eternal thing you know like it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way a movement could last you know weeks or months or years or you know for decades, there's also, you know, we, we get intimidated when we think about starting or being a part of a movement. But I think one of the healthiest things we can do actually is to allow the movement to 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 have a kind of an like end reality. And so, quick question: When you look back at the last those three or four or five years, have you ever thought to yourself, like, what if you didn't start the Idea Camp? Like, what what the world would literally be different? And so, one, I guess what I'm trying to get to for the audience is like. Starting movements is important because if the Idea Camp hadn't ever been
1: started, so much amazing work maybe would have never been accomplished. I mean, quite honestly, I haven't taken a step back. Every so often I'll see something online of two people that met at the Idea Camp and they're collaborating on something really uh, amazing. Or, you know, I think one of the things that we were able to do is because it wasn't driven by necessarily those who were popular or famous at the time is that many of them since then have become such figures. And just to see that we were able to platform people who, who at that point didn't get too much platforming mm-hmm. yeah. uh, is really satisfying. And, and to look back and know that, look, for whatever reason, we were in the right place at the right time and people got to get going on their ideas. It's super humbling to think that if we didn't do that, our world probably would be different because I know even some of the connections you've made have been through that, you know, to, through that, those conferences and, and just to think that those things wouldn't have happened if we just kind of sat on the idea yeah. is, is pretty wild to think about. So that's a great reflective point.
0: Okay, this is a moment for me to be transparent because the title of the book, What If Doing Good is Simple, I think is amazing. But I didn't actually create that title. That title <laughs> actually was came out of the Idea Can't me. And then when we work with ideation, so Charles Lee actually is the one who came up with that whole concept of trying to take a very complex scenario and make it as simple as possible so the masses can engage. So thanks, Charles, for, for all the hard work back in 2012.
1: Yeah, I mean... Yeah, but you you live it out. So I think that you just took it to a whole nother
0: level. Awesome. Well, thanks. Hey, so two more questions. Cause, cause here's how we got connected. I, I think I was doing some type of research, and it was about pastor burnout or leader <laughs> burnout, right? I'm going to probably take you back to this moment in your life that isn't one of your most exciting things to remember. But there was a blog post, and you were in a hospital, and you'd kind of had – you know, kind of exhausted and had to, had to go into the hospital. So let me, as we think about movements and doing good and kind of making the world a better place, can you just kind of talk about your journey back then and the importance of soul care and health for movement makers?
1: Yeah, I found myself in the, I think with the mission of trying to make this world a better place, uh, just literally just tired and burnt out. I mean, the tricky part was I didn't feel tired. I think it was really part just the energy, the adrenaline of, of doing things that were working. So I had my hands in multiple different projects, multiple different companies and organizations. And so eventually I started feeling like paralysis in my hands. And I went to the emergency room and literally my doctor sat me down and said, you have this, un, un I don't know, I forget how they describe it, but this unusual <laughs> ability to ignore what your physical body is telling you because of your mm-hmm. mental focus, you don't know that your body is like crying out right now that you're going you're gonna to really collapse if you keep going at the pace that you're going at. Yeah. So what I um, came to back to realize is, you know, some people talk about like you know, work-life balance. Yeah. One of my uh, mentors, he always kind of frames it less about balance because in order for your life to be balanced, like nobody can move, like your kids can never you know, act up. Yeah. You know, All your coworkers or those you partner with, your clients, everybody has to stay still in order to live a balanced life. And he, he used more of the illustration of the fulcrum so that if you were trying to balance a stick on a fulcrum, depending on which part of the stick had received pressure, you just have to adjust the fulcrum to kind of recenter your life towards the area of pressure. And one of the keys to doing that is really developing a community of people who can move with you. And so since then, it was a real wake-up call. I've really worked hard with either the team that we work with at Ideation or friends or family, that when there are certain seasons of my life that bring pressure at one part of the stick, if you will, I can adjust and have people rally around me to kind of guide that. So practically how this works is if... We know that we have some clients where the first phase is going to be super heavy. My wife already understands that where we need to kind of shift some things in our family to accommodate that focus. But she also knows that eventually when that phase is done, we can kind of reshift the fulcrum to a different place uh, that focuses more on some of our personal relationships and so forth. So I I think is it necessary? Absolutely. Because I think there's too many unnecessary martyrs for good. I think there's too many people that uh, think that somehow if they don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. I think given my own kind of faith lens, I know a couple of things about life. One is any issue that we engage is going to be bigger than ourselves. And secondly, God cares more about that issue, quote unquote issue, than we ever could. And he's been actively involved in it before we got there. And he will be actively involved in it after we leave. And so, kind of understanding that gave me a little bit more perspective on how to live, quote unquote, a more balanced life.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Chapter seven, one of the stories I talk about, a, we call the twenty-five cent story. It was just this, this moment where a little, little, little precious eight-year-old girl passed out in class, and. Takes twenty five cents to feed her, and part of the "what if doing good" simple concept was like, hey, we can't change all the world, but we can provide a twenty five cent meal for a child in need. But I remember coming back, and we had, and we were living in Austin, and we had just kind of moved out of our house into a two bedroom apartment, trying to downsize to kind of get the org off the ground. But I f- I came back from that trip so exhausted and overwhelmed. I just remember like that night in this little apartment, just crushed and weeping and had no more energy and I just I saw too much and too quick of time and the next morning I woke up and actually Charles I think you were one of the, one of, one of the guys I called and I just I had to figure out okay if I'm going to do good work long term I'm going to have to figure out a healthy way to do this. So for the audience if you're starting a movement or you're part of a movement give us one or two tips on how we can pursue justice in ways that are really healthy moving forward.
1: I think your book kind of goes at the heart of that is there are definitely a need for high level, more complex thinking about justice, but practically speaking is we can't control everything. And so I kind of break it down to like, what are some things in my life that can really make this world a better place or, you know, to contend for those who may not, you know, be experience, you know, that may be experiencing injustice or, you know, are there areas of resources or privilege that I may have that may be a contributing factor for opening up doors and access and giving human beings, you know, the very things that God intended them to have. And so it's really breaking it down. It doesn't have to be massive, but it's just day-to-day, the way I converse with people, the way I keep up on the news, where I contribute my resources. And time and and all those little things collectively I think will ultimately matter and that's why I love the book that you wrote because really it is about doing good but that action can actually be really simple if we take a moment to reflect and think about what we actually can do
0: yeah I love it that's what I'm trying to I'm trying to help people you know engage a hard issue with grace and freedom and peace and not feeling like the weight of the world is on their shoulders. Okay, so you wrote this book called Good Idea, Now What? I would definitely consider you a futurist. And so last question, just talk one or, about one or two trends in kind of the doing good justice space that you see that's out there that can be a benefit to the, to the listener.
1: I think one area that comes to mind right off the top of my head is really the the use of technology in the way that we serve people. Uh, whether it is leveraging our access or creating even like back-end dashboards where organization can share data, or you know whether it's a particular type of uh, technology that increases the viability or the longevity of a person's life. I mean, when you see, you know, you've been actively involved in places like Africa, but If you see the percentage drop of, you know, everything from HIV to people actually living in poverty, we are starting to make an impact and I think that technology is one one of the key components of that. The other trend that I see is organizations are um, for many sectors that have not traditionally collaborated are starting to collaborate. So they are moving from the model where the organization is the center of the network to a model where the issue is the center of the network and your organization can kind of take a step back and be one of the many organizations trying to work together. So it's been great to see organizations actually map out opportunities together, figure out how they're going to actually work together in different regions. And so for me, like technology and that notion of like shared economy or open collaboration right now, are two trends that I'm super excited about because if those two things can mesh and you kind of need both to collaborate, you need technology and willingness to collaborate, I think we're going to head into an even, uh, even better future.
0: That's awesome. So, okay, last, last question, I promise. Two or three <laughs> books for movement makers. Like these two or three yeah. books that like, if you're starting a movement or part of a movement, you need to read these two or three books. Tell us what they are.
1: Actually, uh, one is that business book I referred to, We Are Smarter Than Me. There are some books on shared economy, so you can just kind of Google that. I think books like, you know, one of our favorite authors together would be like Seth Godin and the book Tribe. That's a great book. Anything that talks about collaboration in our current context uh, would be a great book. Outside of that, I would just say that if someone's trying to build a tribe, a couple of things off the top of my head. One is figure out which tribe you're actually serving. Uh it can't be every – tribes only work or movements only work when they're outsiders and insiders. Mm, yep. And so understanding who is it that you're actually trying to move together with is really important. Uh, secondly, like what we did with Idea Camp, can you contribute? Can you create? Can you curate meaningful content for your tribe? Can you convene collaborative moments, whether it's in the form of events or projects together? And then thirdly, one thing that I think – even like some successful movement makers forget to do, and that's stay accessible to the very movement you help create. Mm, That's so good. um, I think that don't forget that somehow influence means lack of accessibility. Uh, I do want to flip that notion around a little bit that the reason movements work is because whoever's the catalyst for it remains open. So even to this day, you know, whenever we do events or even stuff for our company, I still put my cell phone number on it. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And I do that because I feel like there needs to be a spirit of access. Sure. And it doesn't mean more work, absolutely. But for the sake of building a movement, yeah, I, I think it's essential.
0: Yeah, because if you feel disconnected from the kind of the, the individual was a catalytic starter, I mean, then all of a sudden you don't feel part of the movement anymore that's hard to keep that sustained and healthy so okay charles thank you so much for hanging with us today if you want to read charles's book i would encourage you to do that it's amazing it will help you implement the dreams, passions, and ideals that you have. So it's a really practical how do you get stuff done book. So good idea. Now what? You can find that on Amazon. And we'll have some more info about Charles and movements and collaboration in the show notes. So Charles, thanks for spending time with us. We appreciate what you're doing and can't wait to connect one again down the road. Thanks, Chris. Alright, happy day. Thanks, Charles and Chris. You'll find links to Charles' book, Good Idea Now What, and his company ideation at our show page. You can follow Charles at Charles T. Lee and find Chris online at Chris Marlow. The Simple Cast is produced by Austin Collins and me, Ken Nussbaum, and our music is courtesy of Lamar Stockton. For Chris Marlowe and Charles Lee, thanks for listening, and until next time, do good, do good well, and maybe join with us to do good together.